0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to a Millennial Learn. Thank you all so much for tuning in to today's episode. Today, we are talking about the history of lighthouses, and not just the history, but like how they work, what lighting elements are used, how, you know, the light rotates, all parts of the lighthouse. So um, this is another one that I've had in the backlog, you know, throughout the second half or like the last few months of 2022 that I just have not recorded yet. And the reason I wanted to learn more about lighthouses is really because when I went on the Rhode Island trip with my cousin, we went on a lighthouse, like mimosa tour and we were just able to drink mimosas and it takes you on this old boat. It was an old rum runner boat um, that they used during prohibition. And they drove you past a ton of these lighthouses that were all um, in Newport. And it was just so fascinating to hear some of the stories behind these individual lighthouses. And so I thought, you know, this is a good opportunity to just learn how they work, what the purpose is, and all that sort of stuff. So I hope you guys enjoy the episode and let's dive right on into it. Okay, so I started my research very, very basic, just what is a lighthouse and what is the purpose of a lighthouse? So a lighthouse is a tower with a bright light on top that helps warn sailors of dangerous areas and serves as a navigational aid. It basically just helps keeps keep boats and ships safe. So there are multiple parts of a lighthouse and let's just walk through those so the first part is the lamp this is the light source it can either be electric or oil fueled today like or you know later on in the episode we'll go over kind of the evolution of some of the light sources and lamp sources but basically whale oil was used with wicks back in the day and then kerosene was popular back in the 1870s um eventually electricity and carbide replaced the kerosene at the turn of the century and then in the cold war soviet lighthouses were powered by radioisotope thermoelectric generators so this was a big advancement because they didn't need refueling or maintenance but after the soviet union collapsed there was no official record of the locations of these lighthouses and many of them have been vandalized or just kind of been ruined um, with time so that's the first part of the lighthouse is the lamp then you need the lens so the lens is what's used to concentrate the light and reflect it or redirect it into the horizontal plane so obviously if you just had a lamp in the lighthouse it would not be as effective you want it to be redirected horizontally so that boats can see it more effectively and it is then swept around so they can see it at like a a certain cadence blinking The lens uh, rotates around the light source. So there's like a lamp, let's say, in the middle and then there's a lens that will rotate around the lamp. It is a lot of times rotated by a weight driven clockwork assembly, which is wound by the lighthouse keepers. So this would vary again with the mechanisms of the lens. But sometimes it would have to be wound like every two hours, especially back with the older lighthouses. You know these mechanisms weren't very advanced so lighthouse keepers sometimes would have to be up every two hours winding this clockwork assembly that would rotate the lamp so lighthouse keeping was not a super cushy <laughs> cushy job or anything it says in modern lighthouses electric lights and motor drivers are used um, they're usually powered by diesel electric generators it says that Fresnel lighthouses Fresnel lighthouse lenses are ranked by order. The measure of refracting power with first order lens being the largest, which is the most powerful and expensive. A sixth order lens is the smallest. Um, The order is based on the focal length of the lens. So a first order lens has the longest focal length. um, The sixth has the shortest focal length and coastal lighthouses generally because they need to be, you know, powered. Uh, and, and be able to be seen further, usually used first, second, or third order. But harbor lights and beacons that don't need so much power can usually use fourth, fifth, or sixth order lenses. Um, in recent times, many Fresnel lenses have been replaced by rotating aero beacons, which require less maintenance. Um, in modern automated lighthouses, it says that the system of rotating lenses is often replaced by a high-intensity light that emits brief, Omnidirectional flashes. So it concentrates the light in time rather than in direction. So it'll like pulse it um, with time. These lights are similar to obstruction lights used to warn aircraft of tall structures. So again, there's been a lot of, you know, uh, what am I trying to say? Innovations regarding both the lamps and the lenses in lighthouses over the course of the last, you know, few hundred years. This says that recent innovations are Vega lights, which um, they're basically like led panels. Um, well there's Vega lights and then there's also led panels that they can use. So there's always innovations happening with things like this, but it used to just be, you know, a regular lens that you have to wind up and it would rotate around a lamp. The next part of the lighthouse is the lantern room so this is the glassed-in housing at the top of the lighthouse tower um, on top of the lantern room is a storm-proof ventilator designed to remove the smoke or heat that builds in the lantern room so this was especially i don't i guess this is probably not relevant now but it was when there was like a fire lantern or or lamp um, that was used and it would be very very hot in that room so this was used to to ventilate it There's also a lightning rod and a grounding system, which are connected to a metal roof usually. um, So that it was not struck by lightning or if it was, it was redirected safely. Then there is the watch room or service room. Fuel and supplies are kept there. The keeper preps lanterns for the night there and stands watch. And then there's a gallery often that is located outside of the watch room, which is like an open platform that you can keep watch from. So those are kind of the parts of a lighthouse tower. And let's just talk a little bit about the history of of just lighthouses in general. So the earliest form of a lighthouse was just bonfires on a beach. Very, very rudimentary, simple, just saying like, if you see a bonfire on a beach, that's like the coast. You know that that is a marker for a coast. The earliest known bonfire on a beach was built in Egypt about 2000. Well, I guess, sorry, it's not the earliest known bonfire on a beach. The earliest known lighthouse was built in Egypt about 2000 years ago, and archaeologists have now found over 30 lighthouse remains built by ancient Romans. The first British colonial lighthouse is located in Boston, Massachusetts in 1716 is when that was, was built. It says the modern era of lighthouses began at the turn of the 18th century as lighthouse construction boomed in lockstep with burgeoning levels of transatlantic commerce. So as people were coming across the Atlantic, as commerce was building, there was a need for these navigation aids. And so the lighthouse kind of industry or lighthouse building really boomed. There were also advances in structural engineering and new and efficient lighting equipment allowed for the creation of larger and more powerful lighthouses, including the ones exposed to the sea. The function of the lighthouses shifted towards the provision. Oh, geez, my notes just hopped all over the place. The function of lighthouses shifted toward the provision of a visible warning against shipping hazards such as rocks or reefs. So that's kind of um, the purpose that we were mentioning earlier. So, it says that the Eddystone Rocks were a major shipwreck hazard for mariners sailing through the English Channel. The first lighthouse built there was an octagonal wooden structure anchored by 12 iron stanchions secured in the rock. It was built by Henry Winstanley from 1969 to or sorry, from 1696 to 1698. His lighthouse was the first tower in the world to have been fully exposed to the open sea. So again, that was like the You know, there were some good structural engineering uh, advancements that were made that made this possible to have this tower be fully exposed to the sea and still remain standing and useful. Then it says the civil engineer John Smeaton rebuilt the lighthouse from 1756 to 1759 His tower marked a major step forward in the design of lighthouses and remained in use until 1877. He modeled the shape of his lighthouse on that of an oak tree using granite blocks. He rediscovered and used hydraulic lime, which is a form of concrete that will set underwater um, and it's used by the Romans. And he developed a and developed a technique of securing the granite blocks together using dovetail joints and marble dowels so again lots of engineering happening here this civil engineer really revolutionized like how um you could even put together a good lighthouse tower that would again be resilient to all this weather and the sea and all that so the dovetailing features served to improve the structural stability although smeaton also had to taper the thickness of the tower towards the top so yeah he modeled it off an oak tree so it goes like very wi- kind of wide at the bottom and then it gets a little bit narrower at the top um there was a gentle gradient and i will post a picture of this lighthouse tower on my instagram so go follow me at a millennial learns on instagram and you can see the actual visual representation of his design It says that this profile had the advantage of allowing some of the energy of the waves to dissipate on impact in the walls and his was really the prototype for the modern lighthouse and all these engineers that followed him really based their designs off of his design because it was so good at like i said dissipating the energy and being able to withstand the waves um robert stevenson was um a large figure in the development of lighthouse design and construction. His greatest achievement was the construction of the Bell Rock Lighthouse in 1810, and it said that this was one of the most impressive feats of engineering of the of the age. It was based on Smeaton's design. So Smeaton was a big influence to all these other designers, but it had several improved features. So one of them was the incorporation of rotating lights. It alternated between red and white um and that was a big innovation uh he worked for the northern lighthouse board for 50 years during the during which time he designed and oversaw the construction and later improvement of numerous lighthouses he innovated he innovated in the choice of light sources mountings reflector design the use of fresnel lenses and in rotation and shuttering systems providing providing lighthouses with individual signatures allowing them to be identified by seafarers so yes Before him, basically every lighthouse would just kind of be relatively the same, like the light would rotate at the same times or whatever. He created a system so that if someone saw a lighthouse, you could tell which lighthouse and identify where you were based on the signatures in the lighthouse. So it was a very, very useful system. He invented a movable jib and the balance crane as a necessary part for the lighthouse construction. Okay, there was another very important man, Alexander Mitchell, who designed the first screw pile lighthouse. Basically, that means that the lighthouse was built on piles that were screwed into the seabed, even though they were sandy or muddy. Uh, That construction began in 1838 at the mouth of the Thames and what was known as the Maplin Sands Lighthouse. It was first lit in 1841 it says although its construction began later the wire light in Fleetwood Lancashire was the first to be lit in 1840 so he built a couple lighthouses um, and they were built and lit in the eight, early 1840s all right let's talk a little bit about just lighting improvements in general we've talked a little bit about some of them but um, this article and I will link all the articles that um, I have used for this. And let me just shout them out really quick here. Um, so this was projectarchaeology.org. Gave, like Gives like a full rundown of all of the history and all these good facts about lighthouses. So this is where I'm taking most of this um, from. And then later I have like another website for something more specific, but this is where I'm getting all this. So. Let's talk a little bit about the history of the illumination and the improvements. So basically, the source of illumination had generally been wood pyres or burning coal. There was an argand lamp that was invented in 1782 by Aime Argand. He was a Swiss scientist and he revolutionized the illumination in lighthouses because the light was steady instead of like flickering. It was a steady flame and it was smokeless so ground glass was used um or sorry yeah early models used ground glass which was sometimes tinted around the wick later models used a mantle of thorium dioxide suspended over the flame creating a bright steady light this lamp used whale oil colza olive oil or vegetable oil as fuel Um, It was supplied by a gravity feed from a reservoir that was mounted above the burner So it would just like slowly drip down into the lamp, which is like why they there was a steady fuel supply Um, Matthew Bolton was the first to actually produce the lamp in partnership with argand in 1784 and that from then for over a century became the industry standard for lighthouse lamps it was very reliable very steady it was a very good invention the south Foreland lighthouse was the first tower to successfully use an electric light in 1875. so like i said a lot of lighthouses around this time started moving towards electric light the um the lighthouse's carbon arc lamps were powered by a steam-driven magneto john richardson wiggum was the first to develop a system for gas illumination of lighthouses his improved gas crocus burner at the Bailey lighthouse near Dublin was 13 times more powerful than the most brilliant light then known. So not only was his like less maintenance and stuff, it was 13 times brighter than any other lamp, which in a lighthouse is extremely useful. You want it to be basically as bright as possible. So this was another very, very good invention. Then the vaporized oil burner came out, it was invented by Arthur Kitson in 1901, and then it was then improved on by David Hood at the Trinity House. So there was high pressure that vaporized the fuel, it heated the mantle, and then that gave an output of over six times the luminosity of traditional oil lights. So again, the brighter, the better, and this became um, widely available. Because of this Swedish engineer named Gustav Dalen, he invented something called the Dalen light. It says he used Agamassin, I think I'm saying that right, AGA, to substrate or absorb the gas, allowing safe safe storage and hence commercial exploitation. Dalen also invented the sun valve, which automatically regulated the light and turned it off during the daytime. The technology was the predominant form of light uh, in lighthouses from the 1900s through the 1960s when electric lighting had become dominant. So that is like the walkthrough of the different lighting systems in lighthouses. Very interesting. There's a lot of people in play. I kind of always just thought it was like they went from a lamp to electric, just very, um, I don't know, binary of like, okay, you're just having like a fire burning versus electric. But there were a lot of steps in there and a lot of new technical technological advances that really helped to pave the way before the electric um, lights came in. Okay, then there was also this uh, innovation with the lenses. So it says, with the development of steady illumination of the argon lamp, the application of optical lenses to increase and focus the light intensity became a practical possibility. This guy named William Hutchinson developed the first Practical optical system in 1763. It was called the catoptric system. It was very rudimentary. It uh, emitted light into a concentrated beam and then which basically makes it increase the light's visibility. So this was where the ability to focus the light, uh, it led to the first revolving lighthouse beams um the light would appear to mariners as a series of intermittent flashes so we kind of talked about that like it would rotate and from the sea point of view you're seeing a flashing light um, it also became possible to transmit complex signals using the light flashes so we've talked about the fresnel lenses but here's the history of the fresnel lens the french physicist and engineer augustine jean fresnel developed the multi-part fresnel lens for use in lighthouses His design allowed for the construction of lenses of large aperture and short focal length without the mass and volume of material that would be required by a lens of conventional design. A Fresnel lens can be made much thinner than a comparable conventional lens, in some cases taking the form of a flat sheet. A Fresnel lens can also capture more oblique light from a light source, thus allowing a light from a lighthouse equipped with one, wait, sorry, Um, a Fresnel lens can also capture more oblique light from a light source, thus allowing the light from a lighthouse equipped with one to be visible over greater distances. So basically it's like, yeah, it's more efficient. It can capture more light. It can concentrate it into kind of more accurate distances. So very, very good innovation. The first Fresnel lens was used in 1823 in something called the Cordouan lighthouse at the mouth of the Gironde estuary. It's like to be seen for more than 20 miles out and increase the luminosity of the lighthouse lamp by a factor of four and the Fresnel lens is still definitely uh, in common use today okay um this is like recent advancements of things it says the advent of electrification and automatic lamp changers began to make lighthouse keepers obsolete for many years lighthouses still had keepers partly because lighthouse keepers could serve as a rescue service if necessary but improvements in maritime navigation and safety such as gps have led to the phasing out of non-automated lighthouses across the world in canada this trend has been stopped and there are still 50 staffed light stations with 27 on the west coast alone remaining remaining modern lighthouses usually have solar charged batteries and a single stationary flashing light sitting on a steel skeleton tower almost all lighthouses are automatic now which is sad like you hear about these lighthouse keepers and their lives and a lot of them saved a lot of people and they were just i don't know like the the idea of a lighthouse keeper is like so quaint and cute and wholesome, and I feel a little sad that they have been phased out with these automatic lighthouses. I guess that's just kind of the way it is because I guess if you don't have to have someone sitting in a lighthouse all the time, it is definitely better, but I don't know. It's just a little bit sad that most are just completely automated now and don't need a lighthouse keeper. Um, Okay, I looked up some fun facts about lighthouses just like a fun little thing fun little segment and here are some of the ones I found so lighthouses near to each other that are similar in shape are often painted in a unique pattern so they can be easily recognized during daylight this is called a day mark so just the, the pattern they're painted in is called their day mark sometimes there are two lighthouses known as range lights so I didn't know about these at all so basically you'll put one further back like I believe inland and then one is on the coast. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe they can both be on the coast, but basically there will be two lighthouses and they provide the navigator with a line of position so they can align a vessel with a narrow channel like a river. So you'll put these two lighthouses in the line and then instead of the navigator having to like see a compass or having to visually look if they're going through a narrow river at night, they can just make sure that they align their boat with the two lighthouses they see align those up and you'll get through the the river. So I thought that was very nice and simple and practical and I I really like that. Um an observer rather than seeing a continuous weak light sees a brighter line or sorry, an observer rather than seeing a continuous weak light sees a brighter light during short time intervals. These instances of bright light are arranged to create a light characteristic or pattern specific to a lighthouse. So we talked about these, um, you know, the, the signature of the light that was made possible with these lenses and stuff. So for example, there's a lighthouse called the Chevenington Shev- Lighthouse. It flashes, uh, its flashes alternate two and a half and seven and a half seconds. Some have flashes of a different color or whatever, but basically there are these signatures of light that come off a lighthouse that tell you exactly which lighthouse you're seeing, which we kind of talked about before. Um, Another one is sometimes a lighthouse needs to be constructed in the water itself. Wave washed lighthouses are masonry structures constructed to withstand water impact. Again, we talked about the Eddystone Lighthouse in Britain. Uh, Another one is the St. George Reef Light off of California. So, um it was fascinating to read about these lighthouses that are actually physically in the water. Um and the engineering that had to go into that, but we talked about that a little bit already. It says in waters too deep for a conventional structure, a light ship might be used instead of a lighthouse, such as the former light ship Columbia. Most of these have now been replaced by fixed light platforms. Um I wish i saw have seen like i wish i was able to see a light ship but again most of them have been uh replaced so i again am a little bit sad by the innovations in some of these lighthouses that have made them mostly automatic but um okay and then the last thing i wanted to kind of go over is we heard about the ida lewis rock lighthouse in rhode island on our on our tour it's in newport harbor and there was just this fascinating story of the lighthouse keeper. And I just wanted to like read this article. It's called lighthousefriends.com. It goes over the Ida Lewis Rock lighthouse. And I just wanted to read some of this because it was such uh, an inspiring and interesting story about this lighthouse keeper. So this was originally known as the Lime Rock lighthouse. It it was because its location was atop lime rock it's 300 yards offshore from the southern side of newport harbor the first tower on the site was built by captain dutton in 1854 it was serviced by josea lewis um, who rode to the rock each day like rowed in a boat um, it was nearly impossible to access the rock during the winter storms so there was a one-room shack that was constructed near the tower to serve as a shelter for the keeper when you couldn't get to and from the shore in the winter. Okay, the station's present name comes from its female keeper, Ida Wally or Ida Lewis, who was the daughter of Hosea Lewis, which was the lighthouse's first keeper. In 1857, Hosea Lewis had a stroke and left the responsibility of minding the light to his wife, Zoradia. Zoradia was busy taking care of her husband because You know, he had had this stroke and they had an invalid daughter. Um, And so Ida took over all the duties of the station at 16. So she was essentially the keeper of the light, of the lighthouse. um, But it said in everything but name. So technically, Hosea was, I think, still the light keeper. But all the duties were being taken over by Ida, who was 16. Ida was the third oldest child of... Let's see, Ida was the third oldest child, but one of her brothers had died and the other had left home by the time that Lewis had suffered his stroke. So Ida just really took over all these responsibilities. Um, Ida Lewis also had to ferry her younger siblings to shore each day so they could attend school. She was responsible for rescuing dozens of people from the frigid waters near Lime Rock. Her first rescue was in 1858. Um, when four boys were sailing near the rock and capsized their boat, she, um, she rescued them and she became known for rescuing people because she was like very strong, very capable, amazing lighthouse keeper woman. Um, it says several of those she rescued were soldiers from Fort Adams attempting to return to base after a long evening of liquid refreshment in Newport. On march 29 1869 ida's mother saw a boat capsize in the harbor and called for ida to rush to its aid ida who was suffering from a cold sprang to her feet leaving a cozy fire and rushed from the dwelling without grabbing a coat two soldiers had started from newport to fort adams under the guidance of a small boy when their craft was swamped in the harbor the boy perished soon after the vessel capsized but the soldiers clung to the upset boat until they were rescued by ida Harper's weekly featured an article on this heroic rescue. And Ida soon became nationally famous the grateful soldier sent her a gold watch and the townspeople of Newport gave her a boat christened rescue the following independence day, which was declared Ida Lewis day. So this is where her fame like really starts because they were describing us to us on this boat tour, like how she became really famous and it seemed very overwhelming, which I'm sure this article will talk about here in a little bit, but, um, it didn't sound like she did not want fame and then she kept rescuing these people and she eventually like became famous an article in the new york tribune of april 15th 1869 dubbed ida the gray starling of america an appellation that remained with her throughout her life gray starling was a famous english heroine who helped her father rescue nine people from a shipwreck in the north sea so um that's who her nickname was like based off of She received a silver medal from the Life-Saving Benevolent Association in 1869 and was visited by President Ulysses S. Grant in 1875. She became the first female to receive the gold medal for heroism in 1880 from the Carnegie Foundation. Um, She was also, she was just awarded all these things. When Ida asked where she found the strength to accomplish her rescues, she answered, I don't know. I ain't particularly strong. The Lord Almighty gives it to me when I need it. That's all. He can do anything, you know. So great woman. Um she sounded like very spunky kind of. Um okay, Josea Lewis, her father died in 1872 and even though Ida had been the keeper for years, it was custom to appoint the keeper's widow as a replacement. So technically her mother was given the position in 1879 with the help of Senator Ambrose Burnside, Ida was appointed the official keeper at Lime Rock Lighthouse when her mother retired. She did not enjoy her celebrity status, which attracted as many as three thousand visitors to the rock in just one month there were you know she was given all these gifts, marriage proposals um just like she was flocked with this fame she very she married Captain William Wilson in eighteen seventy, but they separated after a short time, and she remained the keeper until nineteen eleven when her brother Rudolph found the seventy two year old Ida laying on the floor in her bedroom. Uh, she passed away two days later, and it says, in publishing a notice of Ida's death, the Lighthouse Service noted that she had saved at least 13 people from drowning and that she was perhaps the most widely known lighthouse keeper in the United States. Um, let's see. That's pretty much the end of Ida's history. It goes a little bit about, you know, the rest of the uh lighthouse and like when um different uh innovations happened in the lighthouse but I think let's see in 1927 the light was transferred to a 30 foot steel tower placed in the okay the following year the hundred foot long eighty foot wide Ida Lewis Rock was sold at auction for 7200 dollars and the buildings and grounds were transformed into the Ida Lewis Yacht Club. So now if you go on this tour they'll say like here's the original Ida Lewis um lighthouse location, and now here's the Ida Lewis Yacht Club. Around this time, a boardwalk was built connecting the mainland to the rock. Um, the light atop the steel tower was switched off for good in 1963. So, um, in tribute to America's best known lighthouse keeper, the lighthouse that bears her name is lighted as a private aid to navigation during the summer months each year. So, that is the Ida Lewis rock, uh, lighthouse. That is the history of it. I thought it was very fascinating during our little mimosa tour. And man, if I could just live a life of luxury in that Harbor and just go around and look at the lighthouses all day, I would be incredibly excited because that was like the highlight of the whole trip for me going around in this rum runner, like fresh, you know, air in your face and like our hair was blowing back and we were seeing all these lighthouses and then hearing this great story about this very famous like spunky lighthouse keeper was just so fun. So if you um, are going to the East Coast, I would highly recommend going on a lighthouse tour. I guess it doesn't have to be the East Coast, but it seems like they're in high concentration there. So it was just a very enjoyable time and I'm glad I got to learn a little bit about lighthouses, the history, the mechanics of it. And I hope you all learned a bunch too. So I will see you all next week for another episode and make sure to rate, comment, review, follow me on the podcast on Spotify or anywhere you get your podcasts. So thank you all for listening and I will see you next week. Bye everyone.